I'd like to welcome you uh, into Crossroads. If you're here with us in person, or if you're joining us online, we're, we're glad that you're here with us today. Uh, my name's Kurt, honored to get to be up here with you uh, as we uh, come together to, to worship today. Uh, there is a new word that has really come into our, specifically our American English vernacular. It's, it's a word that 20 years ago didn't exist, and uh, it's one that has kind of become so mainstream that now probably everybody uses it regularly, if not daily. Uh, a word that, um, like so many words, <clears throat> was actually kind of a combination of two words that uh, younger generations kind of morphed into one, kind of a slang term, combination term kind of thing. But it got used enough that in 2013 it was put into the Oxford Dictionary. And uh, a year later, to really make sure it was a justifiable real word, it became a legal word to use in Scrabble. Any idea what this word might be? Any guesses? Let's show it. I heard it over here, somebody saying it. It's selfie. We use that word a lot. We use it, use it pretty regularly. Now, for those of you who are, are, are younger than me, you might not know this, but once upon a time, we took pictures with a camera and you had to put film inside of it. Uh, you'd get this roll of film that had like 24 to 36 pictures on it. You'd take your pictures. You'd go drop off the film at Walmart or maybe a pharmacy. You'd pick them up a week later, and you totally forgot what you had even taken. So you're like reliving you know, these memories that you had completely forgotten about and hope that maybe the pictures turned out, hope they weren't too blurry. Uh, we always had some, especially when my grandma took them. The camera was always crooked, and half the time her finger was sticking in front of the lens when we got the picture developed. And that was nothing like seeing a great group shot and there's a finger over your face. That's kind of how it worked out a lot. But that's how pictures were. When I was uh, in college is when digital cameras really were becoming uh, mainstream enough and, and cheap enough you could buy them. They weren't very good quality, but you could look at your pictures and you could delete them. Uh, but the last decade or so, really, cell phones have become the primary use uh, for, for our photos. And the selfie, what it does basically is for the first time ever, you get to put yourself as the focus of everything that you're doing. Uh, just to kind of illustrate that, let's just try one real quick. I don't know if we can get everybody in here or not. Let's, let's just do two. We'll do you guys over here. Okay, and we'll do you guys over here. There we go. Guess who's front and center in both of those? <laughs> That's kind of the whole point, right? Hey, we are in week uh, five of this series called Adverbs, and uh, we've been looking at some core values, statements, that we've got for us uh, here at Crossroads. These aren't necessarily new or radical, but as we step into this new season of, of the church, it's just the things that I'm passionate about. And, and so we've taken these core values, we put them into statements, we tacked an adverb on it, because like I said, I don't want to just say what we're going to do, I want to say how we're going to do it. And, and so today our adverb is, is the word actively. And that goes with the statement that we will actively participate in community. We just talked about uh, living in a selfie world. We want to kind of get rid of that selfie world, so to speak, and start looking at, at the world around us. We will actively participate in community at Crossroads. We understand that life was not meant to be lived alone. Family exists in circles, not in rows. We challenge all of our attenders, anyone who calls Crossroads home, to join one of our small groups. Participating in a small group allows for spiritual growth, development, and understanding that simply cannot happen by only attending a weekend service. Our vision is that our small groups would multiply and that through these groups, the community would be greatly impacted by the ministry of Crossroads Christian Church. 
Uh, we uh, here in, in this country, we like to think about independence. We, we have a, an entire holiday that's dedicated to independence. We celebrate it. We like to, to celebrate heroes like the Lone Ranger or maybe someone like Batman who kind of works you know, alone in the shadows, so to speak. We, we really value and treasure the idea that we don't need somebody around us all the time. We like to talk about the American way, being a self-made man or a self-made woman. I didn't need somebody to prop me up. I did it on my own, or I picked myself up by my bootstraps. And we wear that as a badge of pride. But that's really not how we were created. We weren't created to, to operate alone. We weren't created to, to run solo like that. And I know some of us are, are introverted. And you kind of prefer to have times alone. I'm, I'm kind of what you call an extroverted introvert. I, what I mean by that is when I tell people I'm introverted, sometimes they're surprised by that. But it doesn't mean that I won't talk to anybody or I won't go up and start a conversation with anybody. But when I need my moments to recharge, I need to be alone. I don't need a lot of people around me. I don't want a lot of noise. I need calm and quiet and just need time by myself to recharge. I've got some friends that are the other way around. If they're alone by themselves, the silence is deafening. They need chaos. They need a crowd. They need a bunch of people around them, and that recharges them. And maybe you fall on either one of those moments. Silence and solitude is not a bad thing, but that can't be where we live either. Jesus showed us this. He went for moments and maybe hours of, of solitude by himself, but he didn't stay there for, for a long period of time. And so I would just encourage you, if that's you and, and you're somebody who does like to do things on your own or somebody who does tend to kind of break off at times, keep this in mind to not confuse your short-term need for solitude with your eternal design for community. That's how we were created. That's how we were wired. Now, we're going to talk about this today, about why we need to be in community. And, and if you kind of look back at this series, the first two weeks of this series were statements that are vertically oriented. We will relentlessly pursue a deeper and more transforming relationship with God, and we will genuinely practice authenticity in our worship. That's got a vertical element to it. That is you to God. The last two, and then this one, and then next week when we wrap this series up, are, are outwardly focused. And we talked about we will, we will eagerly serve others and we will passionately love our neighbors as ourselves. And as we look to actively participate in community, that gets us out, focused on how we can not just take care of ourselves, but help take care of the people around us as well too. And as we look at this, I know that the official sign-up window for small groups was a few weeks ago. You can still join small groups anytime. I want you to know that. Now, we do have some that are Bible studies that have actually already ended, so... You probably can't join that one, um, you know, unless you can invent a time machine and go back. We also have some that are Bible study focused, and it's kind of too late to jump in because they're going to wrap it up in a week or so anyway. But we have some more that will be starting. We also have community groups, and we have men's and women's groups that are getting kicked up or that are ongoing that you can jump into at any point in time. So check our website. Just because that official sign-up window is closed, it doesn't mean you can't get in one. You can, or you can put on the connection card that you're interested in, and we'll, we'll follow up with you. But what I, what I want to do today is just tell you why, why you should get into one, why you should consider signing up for one, four reasons why specifically. Here's number one. In community, you start to look more like God. You start to look more like God when you're in community. You think about this and you may say, well, how in the world do I look more like God when I'm in community? It's actually very simple. You go back to the beginning of your Bible. In the creation account, there is a verse there that is easy to read and, and not catch everything about it. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God says, let us make mankind in our image. 
Now, a lot of times we read this, and you're like, oh, that's pretty cool. I'm made in the image of God. And that's, that's true. That's what it's saying there. But don't miss the plural pronouns here. Let us make mankind in our image. Okay, we're like, okay, well, well who else is there? there? There's no people on the earth. There's God in heaven. Who else is there? You get into the New Testament, and it tells you who else was there, because in John chapter 1, it says that Jesus was active in creation, and that everything was created through him. And we read on in what Paul wrote, that Jesus was in heaven before he came to earth. God sent him to earth to become one of us. Okay, so Jesus is there. He's active in creation. The Holy Spirit was active in creation. So when we read, let us make mankind in our image, we're talking about the Trinity here. We're talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Suddenly you start to see how you are created in that image. How you were created to look not just like God, but to look like God in community. And I would say that even, even a pull towards community is, is inherent in creation itself. Because we see creation, and we see the, the garden, and we see Adam in the garden. And God has created all of these things, and what does he say after everything he creates? He looks at it, and he says, that was what? It was good. Until he doesn't. Until Genesis chapter 2, when he says, it is not good for the man to be alone. And suddenly, God recognizes something is not good. And I always think about this, because how could we take the, the perfect paradise? Okay, we've got Eden, which... I think it could be a glimpse of what heaven's going to be like. And God looked down and say something is not good about that. I think it's simple. He knew Adam was created for, for community. He knew Adam was not created to be by himself. So he creates Eve, and suddenly there is the first community of two people there. Folks, community does not have to be large. Community is intended in some aspects to be small, but not isolation. But it's in community we see creation I think living its, uh, or being exhibited how it was meant to be. You look more like God when you're in community than you do by yourself. Here's number two. In community, you've got others beside you. Now, this may seem obvious. It may seem, uh, you know, like, yeah, I, I get that. But it's, it's true. I told you last week kind of the, the backstory of, of my childhood and having a neighborhood around me and having my best friend around the corner and neighbors across the street I could go to if uh, you know, I was locked out of my house or people I could rely on. And, and even here now, we're starting to, to get to know our, our neighbors well enough to be able to rely on them. In fact, a couple of, uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, I think it was a Friday, I was off. I had the kids. I was getting ready to take the girls to school. And I go to take them and realize... My keys are in Jennifer's car, and she's 20 miles away. And school starts in five minutes. Um, so like, I'm just searching, kind of frantic. Titus is actually still in bed asleep. I haven't even got him up yet. And so I'm like, girls, we got to go. And their school's a mile away. Okay, so we got to get there five minutes and a mile. I'm not an Olympic runner. I don't like my chances with that. But uh, as we're getting ready to leave, our neighbors were backing out of the driveway with their daughter heading to school. And so I flagged her down and said, hey, can, the, can you take the girls? <laughs> Would you mind taking them? Yeah, yeah, hop in the truck. You have them you can rely on. Had some other neighbors that brought them home. You know, we, we just, we can rely on one another for things like that. Many of you, if you've lived in a similar uh, place for a long time, you've got neighbors you can rely on, you can count on. Uh, in fact, our neighbor behind us uh, last year texted me, uh, our fence had blown down, and his dog ran into my backyard and threw the dog door into my house. And he goes, 
do you care if I go into your house to get my dog? I'm like, you're fine, I trust you, you're good, you know. <laughs> we have people around us, and it, it helps. Uh, just since we've been here, I've had people that have come to me and said, hey, you need stuff done around your house that's electrical or that's plumbing related or that has to do with heat and air, let us know because that's you know, beyond what I feel comfortable doing. And I can call on them. I, I can lean into them if I need something. But community is also vital when you're hurting. I know too many times where we hurt, sometimes we hurt alone. We feel like nobody can relate to us. Nobody, nobody's dealt with what I'm dealing with, and I'm going through this by myself. And, and I'm not going to dive into the question of why would God allow pain and suffering, because we, we did a whole sermon on that last spring or last summer. I would encourage you to go check that out. But you understand something, that God never wastes a hurt. I don't think God causes hurt. But if you're hurting, he can use that for the benefit of the people around you, either by allowing them to help you through that, help you to heal, or by using your hurt in the past to help somebody else who's dealing with it now. We can pour into one another in community. We have people around us. And it's because in community, we watch each other grow, and therefore we help each other grow. Proverbs 27 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And I used to hear this verse a lot when I was younger, like when I was in high school. They would say this verse to us, like at soccer practice or football or whatever. And it was supposed to be motivation, like you're going to push one another to get better. And we see this in sports. If you've got a good quarterback on your team, you want a really good quarterback as your backup. Number one, if the, if the first guy gets hurt. But number two, to push the first guy to help make him get better and not be complacent. But it applies to so much more than that. It applies to our lives and in our walk with Christ. Watching somebody else walk with Christ can help your walk. Having somebody else walk alongside you will help your walk. You're going to mutually benefit from that. A guy named James Clear had a quote that I loved. I saw this and it said, Nothing sustains motivation better than belonging to the tribe. It transforms a personal quest into a shared one. I can set goals for myself all day long, but unless somebody pushes me towards them, I'll be honest, I'm good at sometimes ignoring them. And the reason I do this is if I put a goal for myself, like let's say I want to start running or I want to start working out, ultimately that's only going to impact me. It's not going to affect anybody else. It's not like a goal I put for the church or a goal I put for my family. It's just for me. And so if, you know, a couple of weeks into it, I think, you know, I don't, I don't really want to do this anymore. No big deal. But if I've had somebody that, that meets me at the gym that is looking forward to meeting me there and I miss, it's like, hey, where are we at? Hey, you missed a day, you're going to be behind. You know, it's like you get that motivation to kind of spur each other on and help each other out. There's an old Zambian proverb that says, when you run alone, you run fast, but when you run together, you run far. Sometimes I've heard people say, I don't like other people around me because they slow me down. You know, and maybe you're highly driven, maybe you're highly competitive, and, and you, yeah, you're right. If other people are there with you, it might slow you down just a bit. But if you stopped and thought about the benefit it might have to you if they are. And maybe you can go a little further if you're all working together. When I was in Oregon, we uh, had this group of churches called the Church of the Valley. And I, I, I liked that, that group because we, just, we came together as pastors. We came together as staffs, realizing none of us were perfect. None of us were complete. We all had areas where we could help each other out. There was one church in town. It was one of the big churches in town. wanted nothing to do with our group because we just got in their way. And it's like they never stopped to realize what they could have done to benefit the rest of us and the kingdom as a whole. It was just all about them and what they wanted, and we got in their way. And I don't think they understood the value of running together. 
Because when you run together, you're going to run farther. Here's your third reason you should join the community. In community, you resemble the New Testament church. Now, this is something I've heard, I think, in about every church I've been a part of, is we want to look like the New Testament church. You know, we don't want to get caught up in trends. We don't want to get caught up in this or that. We just want to be the New Testament church. Well, guess what the New Testament church was all about? Community. Everything they did was in community. And this started before the book of Acts even. This started just with Jesus. Jesus did everything in community, whether it was his circle of three, Peter, James, and John, or his circle of 12, or his circles of 70 or 120. Jesus had community around him, and he poured into the community. And I just, I just bet they encouraged him too. We know Jesus experienced emotions. We know he went through difficult times. It was nice probably for him to have people around him too. But the church started in community. I mean, just look at the book of Acts. The book of Acts basically starts like this. In Acts chapter 1, in verse 14, it says they, talking about the disciples, all joined together constantly in prayer. Or in in chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Or chapter 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread. They did everything in community. There are so many benefits to being a part of community here at Crossroads. And again, I'm not just talking about our Bible study small groups. Those are great too, helping dive into the word and learn the word together. But we've got groups that are very specific for specific demographics or groups that are more general. We've got community groups where a family can come together and and be together. Men's and women's groups that are uh, activity-based or or are relationship-based or women's table groups that are, are forming and getting ready to start. Our men's connect groups, some of which have been ongoing, Some others are about to start back up as the weather gets nicer outside. We've got a Young Families Connect group that we're getting ready to start. If you're interested in that, let me know. We'd love to have you a part of it. Young families that we can just be together, not even really doing anything more than just building relationships with one another. But you might ask, what's the benefit of that? If you've ever hurt alone, you understand that. I got to be honest with you here. And some of you might realize this, some of you might not. We're a big church. If something is hurting in your life, we may not know about it. And I hate to admit this, but it's true. Sometimes when you're not here, we don't notice it for maybe a couple months. Why? Because there's 600 faces that we see every Sunday. There's 600 stories and lives, and we try our best to keep up with that. But there's some weeks that we just can't quite keep up with that. That's why a small group is so important. Because if you're involved with one and something happens with you, or you, you get to where you can't make it for a few Sundays, they're the first ones to check in on you and they can let us know. I had a lady in my church in Oregon that called one day to the office, was, was really upset. She'd been in the hospital for a week and nobody had called and checked on her or come to see her. I said, well, we didn't know. We didn't know you were there. Did, did, are you a part of a small group? Could they have called? Well, no, I'm not a part of one. I said, that's, that's why they're important. Not, not trying to play the game of, of saying, well, you should have done this, but we didn't know. She was alone. Being with community helps us know more about what's going on with you all. When you're in need, when you're suffering, when you're hurting, maybe when you're needing to celebrate. Guys, you ever played golf and you play by yourself and you hit a great shot? You're like, nobody's going to believe this one, right? (laughs) No, we need people around us to help us celebrate when things are great, to share in our joy, but also to share in our struggles as well too. Being together is how the church was meant to be. 
I said, I shared this passage a couple of weeks ago. I want to share it again. At the end of Acts 2, when the church started, it started together. I mean, just look at how Luke writes this. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. One of the first rules they'll teach you when it comes to learning to interpret the Bible. One of the first things that you're told is, read the passage over and over and look for repetition. Because if you see repetition, the author of the scripture was trying to make a point. Luke uses the phrase together over and over in these first couple of chapters. Why? Because he's trying to stress the importance of them being together. That's what church was meant to be about. That's what it's about. It's about the community being together, knowing that life happens together. And in life happening together, community together, you understand that there's times you get to give and there's times that you get to receive. And there's a blessing that comes in both of those. So we do community together because we look like the New Testament church. But here's number four, and this one might be the most important. In community, we can spiritually spur or mutually motivate one another. We can spiritually spur or mutually motivate one another. I think that's such an important aspect of being together. Kind of that idea of accountability, that idea of of building one another up. We can do much more together than we can alone. Yeah, you can run faster alone, but you can do more and go longer together. In fact, did you know this? They're even starting to come to the conclusion that... uh, People who are living life in a community with other people are healthier than those who live alone, regardless of diet or exercise, okay? Now, let me put a disclaimer on this here. Don't go talk to your cardiologist this week and say, hey, my pastor said it doesn't matter what I do. I can eat ice cream and fried chicken and greasy chips and all this and not work out and I'm going to be healthy and you can't tell me otherwise. No, it's more than just physical health, but physical health is an aspect of that. People living life together are healthier. They're also healthier emotionally, mentally, and ultimately spiritually. And, and I think about this because, again, that's how we are wired. The term one another is used 59 times in the New Testament. We think about phrases like love one another, but it's used so many times throughout the New Testament that, again, it's a theme that should catch your attention when you're reading through the Bible. That's how we were meant to live. Unfortunately, in the last couple of years, that all changed for us. We had a, a pandemic that hit, and regardless of your thoughts on the pandemic, it changed everything. When we were in Oregon, we were basically on a complete stay-at-home lockdown order. And, and we did church online through a screen for 16 weeks. And, and I mean, I got to tell you, it was, it was tough because, yeah, I can work alone. I can do a lot of things alone. But I went in almost every week and preached to a camera in an empty room. When I see empty room, I mean, I didn't even have my sound guy there. I went back, and I, I set it up, and I hit the record button, came up and preached. <clears throat> I went home, and then I put it all together. And I got to tell you, preaching to a camera is one of the most difficult things that you can do. Because here, if I say something wrong or mess up, I can just roll off of it. There, I try to go back and redo it all because I need it to be perfect, you know, and, like, all that kicks in. But the worst part of preaching to a camera is when I go to tell something that I think is going to be funny or be a joke, Because here, I don't have to practice pausing for laughter. I just wait for you all to get past, you know, your 15 or 20 seconds of laughter every time I tell the joke. 
And if I tell a joke and nobody laughs, then I've got a comeback. Like, that was hilarious in my office this morning when I practiced this. But I would pause and leave a few seconds for a joke and maybe even have a little smirk on my face like I will sometimes. And we'd be sitting on the couch watching service, and my wife would look over at me and go, that was the stupidest thing I've ever heard you say. <laughs> Shoot, nobody's going to think that's funny. Like, well, if one person did, it's worth it, right? You know? But that's what we did. We did life through a screen. We did church through a screen. We, we did weddings and funerals through a screen. We did births through a screen. There's benefits to, to screens. Don't get me wrong. We live 2,000 miles from home. Currently, we live about 150, which is great. We're, we're easily accessible to get home, but we don't you know, go down there and see my parents like every night, but we can talk to my parents or Jennifer's parents anytime we want through FaceTime, and they get to see my kids, and my kids get to see them, and, and Facebook and, and insta- uh, social media is great because we get to share our lives with, with family and friends that we don't see that often. But folks, that's not community. That's not what community was meant to be. It was meant to be lived in person with one another. And, and so understand this, community is not the same as connection through social media. Social media connection does not equal real life relationships. Satan wants us to celebrate our isolation and our independence. God wants us to be together. And here's where the danger can come in this. And I think we've seen this a lot, especially in the last couple of years, is that people tend to drift away from their community of faith before they actually drift away from faith. People start to drift away from the body, whether that's a whole church setting, a small group setting, and what's the general thought? I'll be okay, I've got God, I've got my Bible. And before long, they put their Bible down and they quit talking to God and they quit turning to God. They just drift away. But people who stay connected and engaged, and and thankfully we are starting to see a lot of people re-engage the last year or so after a couple of years of not being able to. We see the benefits to that. We see the benefits of all of us that come with a different uh, set of gifts and a different set of background stories and a different set of hurts that we've all had and experiences that we've all had coming together to form a body. As Paul says in Romans 12, in Christ, though many, uh, or sorry, in Christ we, though many form one body, each member belongs to all the others. There's accountability that comes by being together. And I say accountability, some of you instantly turn your nose up at that or you cringe at that because you think, well, accountability means I go be with somebody so I can confess my biggest sin to them all the time. That's not what that means. That can be a part of it. Yes, we need to be able to hold each other accountable. You need to be able to have a relationship with somebody that is so good and pure and honest and so trustworthy that you can judge one another. We need that. But that's not all that accountability is. Accountability may just be, hey, I haven't seen you at church in a couple weeks. Is everything okay? Hey, we're trying to read through the Bible together. Are are you keeping up? Hey, we're going to go do this this activity together and, and we can, there's somebody new there that could benefit from you being there. Can you come? Because again, when we don't have that, it's easy to just look at me and look at what I want and where I'm at and let it be. No, we need to understand that all of us come together as a body. And you may think, well, my job, my my gifting is not that important. I'm not on stage. I'm not out front. I'm just a behind-the-scenes person. Folks, if you ever, like, have your foot fall asleep, how easy is it to function throughout the day? (laughs) You know, or you've got, like, just some slight elbow pain, and it just makes everything off a little bit throughout the course of the day. It doesn't take much for one part of your body to not function enough that it messes up your whole body. That's the same way as it is here. 
All of us bring something to the body. And when we come together, we hold each other accountable. We encourage one another. Hebrews 10, we've used this passage throughout this series. Why it's so important for us to be together in community. It says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. I love that because the church needs to encourage one another. Needs to build up one another and bring more people into this. Folks, we've got, again, a, a wider range of small groups. You can find out more information about them on our website. Go, go to our website and click, I believe it's the connect button on the top of the screen. And you're going to find out what we've got from our small groups, through our men's groups, our women's groups, all the other groups that we have. We want to just be together as we do things. Because here's what we need to understand when it comes to church. We're here to build one another up. I love what Gene Apple said. He's a pastor in California. He said, church isn't consumers shopping for what we want. It's family building community together. Church attendance is important, folks. Coming on a Sunday morning is important. Please don't ever think that it's not. Hebrews 10 makes it very clear that this right here is important, that there's value. It needs to be a priority, but this cannot be the extent of church for you. One hour a week on a Sunday morning cannot be the extent of church. And here's the thing too, especially at this service and at our 1045, this is a big gathering. Over 200 people are in this room right now. Sometimes it's darker in here. Sometimes it's louder in here. It's very easy to to fall into the temptation of coming here because you can be anonymous. You can fade. You can hide a little bit. Maybe say hi to the two or three people around you. But it's easy to, to be anonymous. In a small group, you don't get that. There's an intimate feel. There's a vulnerability that comes with that. Because here's the truth about being vulnerable. You can't fake your way through walking with Christ. You can't do that. You can fake your way through a Sunday morning, but you can't fake your way through an intimate, in an intimate group. This is, this is great. We've been averaging about 575, almost pushing 600 people a, a service so far this year. That's great. I want to see that number climb. We're doing three baptisms at the next service. Speaking of which, if Tracy forgets to announce it, could a couple of people help us move the baptistry lid when we're done here in a few minutes? <laughs> I want to see that every week. I've told you, I'd love to just get rid of the baptistry lid because we don't need it because we're needing to use it every Sunday. But understand too, that number that grows, that's not where growth actually happens. It happens when that big number is broken down into small numbers. I think about it like this because we have a great crowd that's here. But folks, don't confuse a crowd with community. They're not the same. They're not the same. It'd be like saying that you're intimately getting to know Patrick Mahomes by attending a Chiefs game. It's not the same. You've got to spend that one-on-one time. Life is meant to be lived in circles, not in rows. And I think about it like this because when you're dating somebody, when you're sitting in rows like you are right now, yeah, you look up here on the stage and you see me, but if you look straight in front of you, what do you see? Probably the back of a head. Probably the back of somebody's head, right? And in, in, in a circle, you're staring across the table at somebody or across a room at somebody. 
If you were dating your spouse, and from day one when you started dating your spouse, every date was going to watch a movie, and you sat there in the row next to her or next to him, and you were focused forward watching the movie, not really being able to talk other than saying, hey, is that the guy from that other movie? How far is that relationship going to go? No, it grows when you're sitting across a table sharing a meal or sharing a cup of coffee. It grows when you're sitting in a room together having a conversation. You're getting to know each other more intimately. Why should church be any different? I would say it like this. In rows, you get information and inspiration. But in circles, you begin to get transformation. I feel like what we do here on a Sunday morning is, is very important. It's vital. Obviously, it's my job. i got to tell you that, right? <laughs> but let me be honest, folks. I don't expect transformation to take place here on a Sunday morning through one of my sermons. My hope is that I, I, I bring God's word to you in a way that teaches you something. So there's the information part of it. And that I say something through that, that God speaks through me in a way that something triggers within you that touches your head or it touches your heart and makes you think differently or feel differently. So ultimately your hands and feet respond and you act differently. That's inspiration. But there's not transformation. Yeah, baptisms, those are wonderful. But it was when life is done together that transformation begins to take place. So the takeaway for you today is pretty simple. Join a group. Commit to joining a group. Again, maybe it's a, a formal small group, a formal community group. Those are on our website. Maybe it's joining a connect group through our men's or women's ministry, the young families, like I said. If you're interested, let me know. Let us know. If you don't see a group that's listed that, that you think that we could benefit from, let us know. Let us know. Because life was meant to be lived in circles, not in rows. So commit to joining one through the summer. That's a kid committing about four or five months. And yeah, I know summers are busy, we travel. But when you're here, join one. And then let me just, let me take this challenge a step further. Join one, and then you can come let me know later. Hey, that was a disaster. <laughs> okay, you can let me know if it didn't go well. But so far when we challenge people to do that, we don't usually hear that back. Jesus modeled community for us. The early church showed us community. So let's live it out in our world today. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for Jesus. God, we're grateful for the example that he gave us and the promise that he gave us, that he's going to be with us always. And God, having you with us is great. But God, we want to be together with each other. We want a place where we can belong even before, maybe even before we believe, God. Because we belong together. And when we come together with people who we belong to, we'll start to become more like you. God, I pray if anybody is feeling isolated right now, they're feeling alone. God, saying, I, I want a group. I don't, I don't know where to look. I need community around me. God, help them to find us. Help us to see them. Let their eyes be open to what's around them. God, just help us be the church that you have in store for us to be, that you've called us to be. Help us to welcome one another and love one another. Be there for one another and pour into one another. We're so grateful for Jesus. God, we're grateful that he went to the cross for us, that he died for us, so we could be brought into your community, into your kingdom. We're grateful for Jesus and we pray in his name.
start to uh, approach the time of communion, I wanted to share a communion thought this morning. And, and I started by looking up a question on Google. And we all know that everything on Google is true. So <clears throat> I asked this question. I said, why are communities so important? You know, Kurt just talked about community. Well, Google says strong communities are critical because they're often an important source of social connection and a sense of belonging. Participating in a community bonded by attitudes, values, and goals is an essential ingredient to enjoy a fulfilling life. So that's how Google defines it. But there was a couple things I thought that are very important in there, and that is connection and belonging. So connecting and belonging. So what does that have to do with communion? I don't know. No, it really does. So connecting and belonging is very important in the communion. If you think about it in the Lord's Supper, God said, take this bread, it represents my body that was broken for you. And not only think about from us as a body and how many broken things we have in our lives. We are sometimes a broken body. And then he said, take this wine, this juice, represents the blood that I shed for you. And from the body standpoint, it helps us belong. And when we take that bread, it helps us belong because we're a community, but we're belonging to Christ. And then the blood of Christ is given so we have a connection with him through salvation. Amen? So that's what community is about. It's about communion. So we get to be share in his body and belong, and we get to share in his blood to connect with him directly because he made that promise. You know, I go to prepare a place for you. And if it wasn't true, if you think about it in Matthew, they talk about when you bring your offering. If you bring your offering and remember that you have something against your brother, what are you supposed to do? Leave it there, go make amends, and then come back and give your offering. So this has a lot to do with communion, is, is connecting and belonging, because it's connecting and belonging to Christ and in belonging to each other. We belong to each other in service and in spirit and in loving Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's how we connect and belong. So go ahead and partake. Lord, thank you so much for communion. Thank you, Lord, for your blood and your body that was given for us. We love you so much, Lord. We want to serve you in this way. We want to be connected and belong to you and to each other. We love you in Jesus' name.